Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast about running, fitness, and all things health-related. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I'll present a new episode that is of interest to all runners. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Martha Runs the World. This is episode 17 already, and today we're going to talk about running through your life. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to stop running. Tired of hearing about people saying, I'm old, I can't do this. Well, so what? I'm old too. Big deal. We can still keep doing our favorite sport. But first, my disclaimer. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm a certified personal trainer and lifelong back-of-the-pack runner. All opinions expressed are just that, opinions. Feel free to disagree. Okay, we got that out of the way. That's good. Our first guest today is Tony Portera. He, along with co-host Ruel Abadam, have a great podcast called Ultra, Ultra Diner. And they haven't put out a new episode for a while. And I hope they do because it's a really cool podcast and I'd love to hear it. Tony is an exceptional ultra runner and he has done bad water a bunch of times so we'll talk to him shortly and after him we'll talk to Laura Zulke and although she is isn't a runner these days she is a fitness expert and she also studies food problems and issues and talks about them a lot on her podcast fit after 40 and it's a really really good podcast and I highly recommend it she does she talks about a lot of issues especially for women over 40, but I think they can relate to anyone over 40. We all go through different changes as we get older, and we can accept them, as she says, with grit and grace. And that applies to all of us, right? (laughs) We can accept them and say, okay, our bodies are changing, but I'm still going to run, right? (laughs) I'm still going to do this thing. I'm not going to fall into the couch and say, woe is me, I'm old. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) All right, so... Let's hear my interview with Tony. Okay, so let's welcome Tony Portera from Ultra Diner. Hi, Tony. Hi, how's it going? It's good, good. How are you this morning? Excellent. Thanks for having me on your on your show. Great, great. So how's your running these days? Well, you know, it's getting there. It's always a challenge to get out, uh, being out here on the East Coast uh, with the cold weather, but it's warming up and... Uh, it's been much better these days. That's terrific. Uh, do you have any particular race coming up? So I've been um, I've been looking at a race that I have in two weeks, which is an 81-mile race out in California called the Badwater Salt and Sea Race. It's actually a team-themed race. With, uh, you run with two or three. You run with two or three runners on a team, and the rules of the race is all two or three have to be. Uh, together at the same time you you can't uh, run ahead or behind so you're only as fast as your slowest runner um, but um, that's the race that I'm supposed to do in two weeks I've, I've kind of taken a few years off where I've only done one or two 100 mile races at least until I get both of my daughters off to college and one's heading out to college in uh, August and then the other the year after and then maybe I can get back up to doing the the five or six hundred mile races a year that I was doing previously. See, that's amazing to me. That, that's I haven't I, I've done only one ultra, and I'm going to do a couple more this year. And I'm working my way up 
up. So that's just to me that's just so admirable. So how do you prepare for for that kind of a race? Well, that race is kind of different because you have to really adjust to your other two, in my case, uh, teammates. So I'm probably a little bit quicker than the two of them. So my training now has been like a little bit at a slower pace just to kind of get used to running at a slower pace. But when you're training for ultra marathons, I, I kind of look at it as if it's it's the same as training for, for a marathon. You know the distance you're going to run and you kind of try to you try to get in longer runs than you would for a marathon. Although I've kind of learned to train for a hundred mile race the same way I would train for a 50 mile race, not necessarily a marathon, but the way I train for 50 mile race. So for me, it's, it's long sustained runs, sometimes back to back long runs of 20 miles to 25 miles. And then just like you would train for a marathon during the week, more base runs that are like your standard shorter distance runs and then speed training, which I do as well. That's terrific. You, you, have you done bad water before? I've done bad water seven times. Oh my goodness. That's, that's, I, I thought you had done it, but I didn't realize you had done it that many times. So that's, are you planning on doing it again? It depends. You know, bad water in, in and of itself is a challenge, not only in the event itself, but a challenge in preparation and then a challenge if you're on the East Coast in coordinating and getting out there. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a cheap race. I mean, the, the entry fee is the entry fee and, you, and it's definitely worth uh, what you pay for it. But um, coming from the East Coast, I, I could typically spend five thousand dollars on the race before i even arrived there to get supplies because mm. you're talking about flights um and i would always go with my family when i go so that's that's four you know six or seven hundred dollar tickets right there hotel rooms are very expensive out there right uh, renting a vehicle is very expensive out there gas is very expensive out there so the challenge of the cost is one thing um and i've done it seven times so you know, only 90 people typically are on the starting line every year. So I like, I like to think about letting other people get an opportunity to experience. I'd like to go back. I just probably have to wait till my two daughters are off to college before I find the time to get back out there in July. Right. Well, college is expensive. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. <laughs> so your podcast ultra diner is really fun. I really like the uh, chemistry that you and Ruel have together. Whose idea was it to start it? Well, first, thank you. I, it's, we're just we're just kind of starting it and kind of learning as we go. So it's it's a challenge for us to get used to uh, not only each other on the podcast, but also creating a good podcast, having good dialogue, having good guests. Uh, it was probably more Ruel's idea. I'd been on a I have been on a bunch of podcasts. I'm a re- I'm a regular guest on the Marathon Investigation podcast. Mm. Um, I've been a guest on the 10 Junk Miles podcast a lot and a guest on Vinny Tortorich's podcast a whole bunch of times. So I was used to being on a podcast, but never used to kind of leading a podcast. So Rel kind of convinced me into doing it. And I like talking. So it, it kind of has been flowing naturally, although I, I hope it improves over time. I won't listen to it myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm anti-listening to myself on a podcast. So uh, hopefully it's getting better over time, but definitely I give Ruel all the credit for that. Ruel the credit for the name of it and the theme of it, which is basically, you know, the ultra diner is, is, you know, pretend as if you're sitting in a diner 
having a cup of coffee, maybe breakfast uh, and sitting across from someone that you wanted to talk to, talking about either running things or just anything in general. It could could be non-running uh, things. And that's kind of the theme of it. Well, I love that theme. It reminds me of when I started running in the 80s. I, I ran with the Dolphin South End Club in San Francisco. And we would always go out for, to a diner for in San Francisco here for coffee and breakfast afterwards. And it just reminds me of that. It brings back some cool memories. So, um, so do you, you must drink, you two must drink coffee then. What's your favorite coffee? I do. So I like a couple of different coffees. Um, and I usually, you know, I used to, I used to order a lot from online. Um, my friend Vinny Tortorich has a, a coffee club called, called Pure Coffee Club, which is a very good coffee. He's also got Pure Vitamin Club, which are the vitamins I take as well on, on a daily basis. So I like his coffee a lot. I also, um, I also, I'm, I'm a Dunkin' Donuts over Starbucks if I'm forced into it, <laughs> um, of course, and yes. um, which is which is pretty good. And then there's a coffee that I like a lot in the morning to get me going called Death Wish Coffee. It's like triple oh, yeah. caffeine. It's yep. super good. I love it. They also made a kind of like a, um, a whiskey barrel blend that, that they don't have anymore. That's really delicious, too. Um, but I'll try any kind of coffee. Cool. Yeah, I like it too. It's it's. I can't leave the house without a cup of coffee. It's, it makes me human. <laughs> I'm with you too. Co- coffee is always the first thing for me in the morning. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, what is the secret, or have you found the secret to running through your life? Well, the secret for longevity and the secret the secret for staying injury free. Um, for me, it's very personal to who I am as a runner, and it. And it should be, and it is for each and every different runner that's out there. The key for me and the advice I give to people that ask me is to learn to listen to your body and understand what you can and cannot do. Um, a lot of people will get injured and feel a little tweak or feel a little something, and they'll just run through it instead of saying, hey, maybe I need a day off here or a day off there or change something that they're doing. Um, a lot of it is listening to what my body is telling me. And I've learned over the years that I can run long distance races and recover very quickly just based on experience, based on slowing down a little bit and just based on listening to my body as I go. I used to run a few years ago, six or seven ultra marathons a year. And most of those would be 100 or 135 mile races. So if you if you think about let's say running 600 mile races a year, you're talking about running one every two months. And the reality of that is that you're basically running your event, recovering, and then tapering to run again. You're not really having long sustained periods of peak training. So it's a lot of listening to the little signals that your body might be giving you to tell you how you should be training. And I think that's helped me a lot over the years. I, I do train people as well. I'm, I'm training one um, wonderful runner who was training for a first 100-mile race that's, that's suffered injury. And what we did with her was we, we found that, that uh, pool running, water, deep water running was helping her quite a bit. So she used that as part of her recovery to try to continue to hold her level of fitness while dealing with the injury that she had. Um, so that's, it's very important to listen to your body. Mm, yes, that is. I think that's something that comes with time. When you're a young runner, you don't understand that. I think is 
as I've gotten older, I've learned to listen to what my body tells me it wants to do. <laughs> it absolutely does. And, you know, I like to think of it, um, especially like for your listeners who might not be ultra, ultra runners, might be marathoners or 10Ks or 5Ks, because the same applies across the board. It's just a different distance or a different, um, a different speed at which you might be running those shorter dif- uh, distances. But it's, it's just like if you're running a marathon trying to figure out um, what kind of uh, fuel works for you, whether it's whether you're a gel person or whether you're a, a, a goo chomp person or whatever it is you eat. I don't eat, I don't eat sugars when I run. I'm, I'm a more fat fueled person, but mm-hmm. it's, it's similar to figuring out what works for you gear wise, you know, what's the right socks, what's the right shoes, what's, what's the right anti-chafing stuff. It's, it's a trial and error process. And the same thing holds true for recovery it's trial and error. How much can I, how much can I sustain after I've run my marathon or my ultra marathon? How, how do I go about getting back into keeping my legs moving? Like for me, if I run, if I'm doing a hundred mile race on a Saturday into a Sunday, the thing that helps me recover the most is getting back out there quickly. And I don't necessarily mean getting back out there quickly and running and sprinting and doing long runs. I just mean moving. So I might finish that hundred mile race in 18 or 20 hours. I'll take, I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up. I'll get back out there and I'll see the other people finish and I'll walk around. I'll start moving right away, um, travel home. And then maybe the next day is a longer walk with a little bit of jogging in between. So really it's a trial and error process, but it's the the focus is on moving again as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Keep, keep moving. Um, so, What's your favorite race? Well, it'd be bad water for sure. Bad water. Yes. So what's the most difficult time you've had during a race and how did you pull through? So there's a lot of difficult times, uh, especially in ultra marathons, right? So when when you run a marathon, you say you hit the wall. Well, if you run if you run a 50 or 100 or 135, you might hit the wall 30 times or 40 times. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experiences that are very different that when you look at them, you might ask that question, how did you get through it? And each time is very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, one time at Badwater, the first time I ran it, um, I actually completely passed out. Um, and one of my crew members caught me before I hit a rock and I threw up all over myself and then came back to, it was really a matter of seconds. And actually it was the, the fact of going through that got me back. I mean, I felt like I had just woken up. Uh, when that happened, I've had many times during long races where I've asked myself, what am I doing out here? <laughs> you know? And and sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, let me just get through the next mile. Let me get through the next 10 steps. And that helps you get through it. Or sometimes you're on the race course and you're with another runner that's experiencing the same difficulties that you are. And together you get through those tough times. Um, but usually I just think about, you know, why I'm out here. I, the, the fact that it's a challenge um, I think about my family, I think about my friends and, and, you know, what I've gone through to get to this point, And that typically will help me get through those down points. I, I don't think there's one particular, you know, the most difficult um, time that I've had in a race that I've had to kind of overcome and get through. I think that in, in running and in challenges and in challenging yourself, you'll always come across those times, whether it's in a 5k or a 135 mile race where you'll have to push through something. And for each person, there's something different that might get them through it. Maybe it's, 
you know, you think of a family member that gives you strength or you think of your training or your training partners, you know, that give you, give you strength. So I, I think it's very different for everybody. Um, for me, I typically tend to think about, I tend to think about my family right? And the fact that, mm-hmm. that they're going to be there at the finish line or that, or if they're crewing for me, they're helping me through a race. And that usually helps get me through any of those tough times. Mm-hmm. When did you know you were a runner? I actually grew up hating running, right? So <laughs> I, I, I played soccer when I was a kid. I played soccer through college and um, I was very out of shape after I graduated college and graduated law school. And um, so I hated running. I didn't like it. And when I was in high school, our, our soccer coach made us run with the cross country team during the off season to train. And I was one of the like kids on the soccer team that would hide, hide in the bushes. And then when everybody come back around, I would pop back out and, you know, finish, <laughs> finish the run. So I didn't have to do it. Um, but back like in like 2005 or six, I, I moved to a, a little complex and I met a couple of run- guys who were runners and I never even thought about even running a marathon or, or any race for that matter. And somehow they got me into running and I started with a 5k and I ran the first 5k. And I remember at the end, I was like, I'm never doing this is stupid. I'm never doing this again. Hmm. Um, but somehow just kept running and running and, and found ultra marathons and just got hooked on that. And, you know, from there it was, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty easy. Now, if I miss a few days running, I, you know, I miss it. I like to, you know, I like to go out running just about every day. So you do run almost every day then? Just about. Like, I, I will be smart and listen to I'll listen to my body and what it's saying. And, and I will take a day off, you know, every so often here and there. But you know, typically in a peak training um, period of time, I like to run between 70 and 80 miles a week. Okay. Um, and then that'll typically be six or seven days a week. Do you do any cross training? Um, I don't, I'd like to do more, but sometimes I will do some hiking or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, some trail hiking on the Appalachian trail that we have up here, um, or do some walking in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but generally I don't do any other cross training. It's just, it's strictly running. Okay. All right. Um, so let's see, I have one other final question for you, Tony, if, now you've already done bad water, so I don't know if there's anything else, but this is the question I always ask my guests. Is there any other race in the world, regardless of qualification or, or area or wherever it is that you'd like to do? Um, I mean, it's, there are so many out there that are very exciting and especially on the ultra side, mm-hmm. um, you know, marathon to Saab is one that's really cool, which is out mm-hmm. in the desert. It's a stage race. And the Comrades Marathon is another one uh, that I'm very interested in doing. So I think it's, there's not one in particular. Um, The Mont Blanc race is another one that's interesting. Mm. But I'd like to try to do some more of these ultras that are in other parts of the world. And because it's such a good learning experience, I've done the Brazil 135 a few times. Um, And in in one year when I did it, well, we did it twice. A friend of mine uh, and another uh, two friends of mine. We let me go back a second. That race is on a portion of a pilgrimage path called the Camino de Fe in Brazil, and it's the most difficult trail they say in all of Brazil. And the, the trail itself is about 350 miles in length, and most pilgrims will do it over, you know, 
many, many, many days and they'll walk the path and you go from, from town to town and village to village and you have a little passport and you can get your passport stamped. And it finishes at a beautiful big church uh, where you can get your certificate of pilgrimage. And I signed up for the Brazil 135 one year and I did it and it was very difficult. And, and my friend Chris Roman had an idea of doing the entire pilgrimage path um, as well as the race in a particular in, in this particular year. And so we teamed up with another friend of ours, Jerem Thurston, and we went to Brazil probably uh, four days before the race itself. And we started at the beginning, one of the spurs at the beginning of the path. Uh, and we ran for three days to the start of the race. And we did about 60 to 70 miles a day mm. uh, right before the start of the race. And then we did the 135 mile race. Uh, and then after that, we had two more days of 40 miles of each day to get to the church um, to finish the entire pilgrimage. So we did it in about seven and a half days or so. Wow. Wow. And, and what was great about that, though, was it, it was in areas of Brazil that, you know, we flew to Sao Paulo, which was great. And then people have been to Rio. But there are so many different areas that I would have never seen had I not done this. Um, had done this journey with my two friends. And so that was really um, exciting and, and fun and kind of eye-opening to see this part of the world that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. So I'd like to do more of that. Um, you know, cause there's, there's a pilgrimage path in, uh, that goes through uh, Spain, the Camino mm -hmm. de Santiago. I think it might start in, in Argentina, but I'd like to do that at some point uh, as well. So it's, it's these adventures. I've, I've gone from like, the races to more of the, I'd like to do journeys and adventures that um, will allow me to see different parts of the world. Okay. Well, that sounds like exciting and definitely want to hear more about those adventures if they happen. So you'll have to uh, keep us informed on that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us and a good luck on everything and your daughter's, college and surviving that <laughs> that's a marathon in and of itself exactly exactly and have a great weekend thanks thanks for so much for having me on the show and i'm you know happy to come back anytime you like to talk about any other topics will do and i'll talk to you soon bye-bye you bet take care hey everybody i really do hope you're enjoying martha runs the world did you know that you can get paid just for listening to this podcast? I know it sounds insane, but it's true. I just discovered this free new app called PodCoin, and it pays you to listen to podcasts. Here's how it works. You listen to podcasts, and you earn PodCoin while you listen. Then you turn that PodCoin in for gift cards at places like Amazon and Starbucks. Or, if you're a good person, you could even donate that PodCoin to charity. The more you listen, the more you earn. And joining us today is Laura Zulke from Fit Over 40. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Martha. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a, it's a nice spring day here in Texas. A little rainy, but, um, but yeah, it's a good day. Awesome. Good day. I'm, I'm glad to be here. That's great. Yeah. I really love your your podcast. I, I love that empowering women with a to age with grit and grace. So what is having grit and grace? <laughs> well, I think, I think a lot of us, um, you know, sort of, I 
identify with this idea of, of grit of just for me, it's about resilience, right? Um, you know, that we face things as we get older, you know, life isn't, you know, handed to us and with unicorns and rainbows and, and we have to learn a sense of resilience. And I think for me that that's come through definitely through sports and through my activities. Um, but then there's also an element of grace. And, and what I mean by that is that I think as we age, there's this sense um, of just we want to keep pushing and pushing and pushing like we did when we were, you know, in our teens and 20s and 30s. Um, but, you know, when, when I had an injury in 2008 that took me out of running and took me out of triathlon, um, that was the the memo, you know, the sort of the spiritual memo I got was that I had to learn to come back to myself with a sense of grace of, of being willing to take a deep breath and, and not push all the time and, and be in that, that dynamic of sort of ebb and flow. See, I, I really like that because it's a real balance between the two, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, it is. And I think, you know, and I think in our culture and I think especially, you know, as women, we sort of grow up identifying with um, with this idea that we have to sort of keep up with the boys. You know, we have to kind of keep pushing and pushing and pushing. But then there's this element of, I think, of our femininity and of just even that sort of divine grace, right? That divine feminine that I think we sometimes want to overlook because we feel like we have to keep up. And, you know, and I think that that's what I love about running and, and really in sports in general is mm-hmm. because there's just so many metaphors to life, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, I was not a fast runner. I was, you know, it was really slow and, um, and, and I had to create a sense of humility around that because it was very humbling at times when, you know, but I was still out there. I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not, I can't keep up with you, but I can do me and I can be in my, in my lane here. And so, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a key aspect, um, as we, as we grow older and, and even at any age really of learning that dynamic of, of when to push and when to sort of, you know, pull up our bootstraps, you know, as we say in Texas and keep going and be resilient. And when is, is it time to just say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and take a step back and really, you know, just lean into, to where I'm being called to go. Yes, exactly. So you are a food psychology coach, is that right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. why did, yeah. so why did you choose that route? Well, it, you know, it's funny because it, I had spent my, spent my lifetime uh, dieting. You know, I started dieting at the age of 10 and, and really just growing up in that mentality of, you know, you have to be thin, you have to you know, you have to look a certain way as a girl, this is what you're supposed to do. And I was also an athlete. And, and so, you know, I was a very active kid. My life's mission was to play division one college basketball. And, you know, and so I had a lot of, you know, just a lot of internal drive around that. And, you know, and into my, you know, kind of did the whole college experience and ate a bunch of pizza and drank a bunch of beer and did all of that. And then in my early 20s, you know, I started really moving back into running uh, on my terms, you know, and in in high school and in junior high and, you know, with sports, running was always sort of this double-edged sword of like, obviously we had to run in basketball, but it was also a form of punishment. You know, you did something bad, you had to run laps. And so I had this sort of conflicted relationship with food and with movement. And so in my early twenties, you know, I, I really, you know, after I got out of college, I started moving again, I started running, I started doing five Ks and then that moved into, you know, longer distance. And then I started doing triathlon. 
And, you know, through that time of my late 20s into my early 30s, you know, I was training pretty hard. I, you know, done a number of half marathons and long distance cycling and started moving into long distance triathlons. And so I did a couple of half Ironmans. And in early, well, I guess in late 2007, early 2008, I started having this crazy back injury. Actually, it started, issues of it started popping up uh, during uh, the Dallas White Rock Marathon um, the previous year. And I sort of didn't put it all together, but I had this back injury. Uh, it really sidelined me for quite some time. Um, and it was a difficult challenge because I had to really step back and take a look at what was I, why was I running? Like, what, what was the point for me? Like, what was it? Because the thing is, is for me, it was like, I would go accomplish this great goal of, you know, finishing a half marathon or a marathon or a half Ironman training and training and training, but then I was never satisfied. And I think for sometimes there's a healthy part of that. And then sometimes there's not. And so along that way, what I started realizing was that in some cases, movement for me and all these activities that I was, was doing was just really a way to lose weight. I mean, it really, I mean, and that's, that's okay. That's, it can be a good motivation. Um, but I also was still really struggling with my relationship with food. And so when I had this back injury, um, I was actually standing in Powell's bookstore one day in Portland, Oregon. I had moved to Portland for a while and and, you know, and it was at that time in my life where I had come back, I was starting to run a little bit again after my back injury and starting to move and you know, get, trying to redefine myself, you know, as an athlete again. And, and I, then I heard that old voice of, well, it's time to go on a new diet. And so I'm standing in pals and, you know, kind of wandering around. And, and I'll say here, too, as a kind of a little side note, part of this journey for me started moving to a very spiritual, introspective journey because I realized that how I was showing up in the world and the things that I was running from um, were were weighing over me more than what I was running to. Mm-hmm. And so I really got to this place where I was like, okay, well, I need a new diet. And I'm sitting there looking at all these books in the bookshelf. And all of a sudden, it's literally like this book flies off at me. And um, it's called It's Not About Food. And it's by two women who um, have an institute in, in California and do a lot of work really with women who are sort of recovering from major eating disorders. But really, that book opened this this whole new doorway of understanding of, of the dynamic, the really deep relationship that we all have with food. I mean, food is the most primal relationship we have beyond our, our love relationships, beyond anything. If we don't eat, we don't live. Live. And yet most of us have a really, what I call sort of disordered relationship with food. And so I started getting really curious because I was just like, you know, we don't talk about this in our culture. We don't talk about how am I using food to deal with life? We don't talk about why I'm eating. We just talk about what we're eating. Right. And right. as an athlete, you know, I had done all this, you know, training and food was a huge part of my, obviously when you're a runner and a triathlete, a huge food is a huge part of your training, but it was never about the why it was just really about fuel and sort of in and out. And, and so I moved into this dynamic where I really started exploring 
through this, the psychology of food and came across a man by the name of Mark David, who's the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. And he has amazing work, amazing body of work, uh, great content on his site. And I did a training program through the, through the Spencer Institute with, with Mark um, and really just, you know, fell in love with with these topics, you know, of, of sort of our relationship with food and how that, that parallels with our relationship with life. Wow. That is, see, I like that. I just wrote down that book title because I have mm -hmm. to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you know, it, and, and it, it made me smile because a lot of people start to run long distances to lose weight, but then they realize that running longer distances makes you more hungry. So that doesn't always <laughs> work. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword. I know. I yes, know. It, is, it is. I mean, I I run, you know, ultras, and it's like when I get home, I want to eat everything, literally. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you get so yeah. hungry. Um, I so, know. Yeah, and so one of the one of the most important the keys you say is to have a clear vision. What does mm -hmm. what is a clear vision? Well, I, for me, it's this idea of what's your why. You know, and, and, and when I started really peeling back the kimono, so to speak, around my relationship with food, around my relationship with movement, it, the question I started asking myself was, why, why in the heck am I doing this? You know what? And that became, and that what you just said is like, like there, there is a double-edged sword with food and our relationship with sports because, you know, it, we have to eat to, in order to, to move. And yet at the same time, it's like, once you get to a certain point, it's like, you've achieved these things, you've gotten these medals. It's like, why are you doing this? And the story that I always, I always think about is, is when I was in triathlon and I had a triathlon training group uh, where I lived in my community and over half the people that trained with us at 5.30 in the morning, they rarely would run a race. I mean, they would every now and then sign up for one, but they trained like crazy. And I just never quite understood, like, why in the world are you up so early doing this? And it's just because they loved it. They loved the aspect of community. They loved moving. And I didn't, I didn't have that framework. I had a framework of I'm going to push to get to this goal. Mm -hmm. And so as I moved through this injury and as I started reflecting about what was it that I really desired out of running and triathlon and cycling and what, why did I do this? Um, it really became clear to me that, that having a clear vision around your why that's beyond the scale, that's beyond a medal is really, really important because the thing is, is over time you have to have the inspiration from within, not just the motivation from external, right. To get to where you want to be. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, coming back to why am I doing this? Like, what's that larger vision for my life? And how does food and movement and my relationship with myself fit in with that, right? So I can be a better person. So I can grow older um, with more ease so that I can keep moving and enjoy being outside on a beautiful day. Like, I mean, it can be any number of reasons. Your why can be any number of reasons, but I think it's just really clear to understand that beyond the sort of, um, you know, just, just sort of those external pieces, because the thing is, is if we get older, you know, our relationship with movement changes. And yes. so, I mean, it doesn't have to change. I mean, certainly I'm a big believer. You keep moving until you, 
literally can no longer move. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, there has to be, and that's to me where that great idea of grace comes in, because mm-hmm. if we're constantly pushing ourselves and we constantly have an expectation that my running and my split times and my life is going to look at 50 or 60 or 70, like it did at 20, 30 or 40, we're setting ourselves up for, I think a lot of disappointment. And so it's like educating our own ex- expectations around what, why am I doing this? And I'm doing it because I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, and that, and it, for me, I had to really question myself and what I ended up doing as I've come back to now moving in a whole new way is as I pick the things I love, like I realize, you know, I love to run, but my body doesn't love to run. And so I, you know, I do a lot of walking. I do a ton of cycling. Um, I still swim, you know, so I found the things that bring me joy and fit into my larger vision. And at the same time, really satisfy that need um, it within me just to keep, keep going, right. To keep moving. Yeah. And, and I think with that clear vision from inside, has to keep us going to to silence all the external pressures because yeah definitely and and i really like your focus on that because you're right as we get older we we have to have to keep moving or or what what's the alternative right right exactly (laughs) exactly yeah i mean i was so fortunate and i talk about my podcast a lot i mean one of the real inspirations for my podcast was my my paternal grandmother, she died at the age of 98 and Mm. she just, she never stopped moving. I mean, you know, she just, she would always tell me, Laura, you, you just can't think like an old person. Like you have to Mm. be in your body and and enjoy the age and stage you're at, but you just, you have to keep moving. I mean, and she had macular degeneration, so she didn't see all that great, but she would still get up and she would still walk and she would still stretch and she would still do these things because she knew that she didn't want to sit down and get old. Mm-hmm. And, and so it really is this idea of, I think and that's, and to me, that's why it's the idea of grit and grace, right? Some days you don't feel like it and you just are like, you know, I'm going to show up anyway. And then there are some days that you don't feel like it and you're like, no, I'm going to listen to my body today and, and just take a breather, you know, and this learning to be in that, I, what, you know, kind of think about it as a rhythm, right? As that, as that ebb and flow. Right, right. I think, I think that's, that's a lot to it. Um, is just listening to our body, listening to ourselves, to, to how, how we feel rather than just mm-hmm. putting it on remote control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I struggled with that a lot when I was really hardcore training because, you know, I, I loved to plan and I had all the books and this was, you know, <laughs> I was doing, I was doing my long distance running and, and triathlon at a time when we didn't have apps. You know, I did everything in Excel spreadsheets. Mm-hmm, I like mm-hmm. copious to copious notes and I, I logged everything and I had all these formulas to calculate all my stuff. And, um, you know, but I, I couldn't, I didn't have that sense of rhythm back then. It was one speed and that was go. And it was, it was challenging then when I hit this injury because it really mentally, it took a toll on me to, it really set me back in Mm -hmm. the sense of like, I started um, realizing like I hadn't listened to my body. And if I had listened to my body in that marathon, I probably would not have had the herniated disc. Like I probably would have been like, oh, there's a mm. reason why my leg is shutting down, <laughs> you know, in the middle of this marathon. Yeah. And yeah. I maybe would have gone and, and explored that, but I didn't. I was just like, oh, it was just a fluke, you know, uh, I'll just keep going. And so, you know, I think it is that sense of listening for sure. Yes, that's true. What What are a couple tried and true practices that the Martha Runs the World listeners can take with them to keep 
them balanced in times of stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I, I'm a huge fan. Well, really, there's a couple of practices that I really am a proponent of. And I talk about a lot in my in my podcast and my work at Zulafit. One of those is is journaling. You know, I, I think we don't in our culture spend enough time just taking a deep breath and being with ourselves in a quiet room. I mean, we we have noise everywhere. There's constantly technology flying at us. And, you know, um, and we have this, most of, most people have a belief of like, oh, I can't write. Like I, I can't sit with a blank page and just, but what happens and when we don't take time to really sort of unpack what's going on in our inner world is it shows up in our body. It shows up in our outer world. It shows up as, as latent stress. So when we have a nagging issue that we're not really willing to deal with, we're not really willing to acknowledge that how we feel about it, um, it creates a lot of, it can create a ripple effect. And so journaling, you know, I'm a big student of, um, you know, Julia Cameron in the artist way and in, in her practice, you know, years ago when I found that book, um, this idea of daily journaling, which I had already done, but just stream of conscious, like sort of like let it all out, right? you know, and in this practice of doing that, I think that's a big, big one, especially, you know, it's the big tool that I use um, mm-hmm. within my uh, my work related to food. But the second one is just taking some time out to breathe and taking some time out, you know, to walk. I remember uh, when and walking as like a meditative practice, right? I mean, I remember when I was, you know, really running a lot. And, and when I hit that marathon where I had the injury, it was like the biggest cloak of shame to have mm-hmm. to walk those last eight miles to the to the finish because my leg literally would not shut. You know, it was done. Like my body was like, forget it. We're out. <laughs> we're, we're done. But But when I started really moving again, walking became not just a form of movement, but it became like this ritual, right? And, and, it, and it brought me back into almost a meditative state within myself. And so, you know, I started shifting up my playlist and listening to music that would kind of tune me in. And I would look at things. I'd, I'd look at the trees. I would notice the birds. I would use it as a mindfulness practice. So I'm a big fan of, of walking as a mindfulness practice. And I'm also a big fan of, uh, of, of course, meditation. And, and I'm not a great, you know, sit and clear your mind kind of blank slate meditator. I'm really more of like a, I need yeah. a guided, I need a guided app and some gentle, you know, flute music to kind of move me along because <laughs> I have an overactive brain. But but I think anything, you know, that that feels good and it feels like it, it helps you breathe, um, you know, is a good thing, is a really good thing. That, that's very, very helpful. And then the biggest message I get from Fit Over 40 is really self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. it, 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 that's what is is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and I think, you know, I talk a lot about the analogy that I use in our world is, you know, we grow up and and I'm also a big fan of, of sort of archetypes, right, of, of sort mm-hmm. of the hero's journey and sort of ar- archetypal energy. And, and, you know, in our world, we grow up as sort of the princesses and princes that we, you know, are going to have life handed to us and it's going to look like this and we have a lot of expectations about how it's supposed to go um but you know we learn pretty quickly that that's that's not the case and i think as we age it's really important to learn how to really let ourselves grow up you know i I think we get sort of stunted wanting to still be you know and 
a young person as we grow older, but we in the process sort of at times uh, diminish our own wisdom and we diminish our own inner voice. And so learning, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things that that sports and running and movement has taught me is how to be within myself, you know, how to keep showing up and lacing up my shoes when, you know, literally that race didn't go the way I wanted. It didn't, that didn't happen the way I wanted. It's like, how do I keep leaning into myself and honoring my journey of where I am at this point in time so that I can enjoy my life on, on my terms, you know, and I'm defining my sense of self from within me, not from what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is thinking. Right. Right. Well, that that's it. It's, it's how to, how to keep showing up. And I love that phrase, how, how to keep showing mm-hmm. up when things didn't go the way we wanted it to. And, and that right. that's, that's like the biggest lesson of life, you know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Isn't it, it is. It really is. Yes, yes. And and so I I get that every episode, and I really appreciate your podcast and love it. And I think everybody should should listen and and i and men and women i think everyone can learn yeah. something from fit over 40 and really it's uh, it's all about balance in oh, life yeah 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 well thank you yeah it's a yes. lot of fun and it's um you know so i started it last november so i'm still fairly new at it um but yeah every week is just fun um it, because it kind of goes on its own journey i'm sure like your show it, it kind of takes its its own arc right and um, yes and i just sort of let it let it let it unfold <laughs> let it unfold well, well that's great and thank you very much um you know good luck on everything and i hope thank it you. keeps going for for a long long time because i certainly am going to keep listening oh, as, as long as it's, it's it. there yes yeah and, i appreciate it yes and have an excellent day and thank you so much for joining us absolutely thank you so much okay bye-bye bye Thanks, Tony and Laura. You guys are both such inspirations, and we can learn something from everything that you told us. So I really appreciate you being on the show. You know, as we get older, our bodies change, and there's a lot of things that work against us that are working really, really hard against us. The number one thing is gravity. Gravity hates us. It absolutely hates us. It's trying to bring us into the ground. So as we get older we start moving towards the ground, ground, ground. And it's really hard to fight against that, but we have to fight against that. Our posture has to be as good as we can make it. We have to be upright as much as we can. And that sounds really easy to say, well, yeah, we have to have good posture, but it's difficult as we get older. I had an injury or not an injury, but a pain in my quad. And I have had one since I did the half marathon in April, that rock and roll half, and the last couple of miles of it, that my quad hurt, and I thought, oh boy, I really hurt it, but I didn't think I did because it wasn't swollen and it didn't hurt at all, so I wasn't that concerned about it, but throughout all of April, and any time I went on a run, it hurt after like two or three miles, it just hurt so much, I would have to like walk for a little bit, then run, then walk, and I don't like doing that, so running wasn't really fun. So I finally, stubbornly, I waited and waited, and I finally went to a physical therapist who told me that it was because my posture was incorrect and that my back was weak, and so it wasn't upholding me up the way it should, and my quad was taking a lot of the pressure. She gave me some exercises to do and told me how I should stand, 
and I've been working on it a lot. I, the last couple runs I've done, I took a week off running completely. And the last couple runs I've done, I haven't had any pain. So I am working on it. I do want to go in to see the physical therapist regularly, you know, weekly at least. It is hard to get appointments around here. I, you can get a free assessment rather quickly, but to find someone in my um, network, in my insurance network that can see me is really hard. So I have to wait a little bit of time for that. And I'll do that. But at least I have a groundwork to begin with. And she said, I don't have to stop running. You just have to adjust and, and do these things to keep running. And it seems to work. So, so far, so good. If there's something that bothers you or something that's hurting and it hurts over a little bit of time and it's not swollen on, if you touch it, it doesn't hurt, then it's probably not injured. Maybe there's an adjustment you need to make. So go see a physical therapist or go to your doctor real quick and see what's going on. Make sure that your doctor is a runner though, or go to a sports doctor or something like that, because if they're not a runner, they don't understand. My GP is a doctor. He understands, is a doctor. Of course he's a doctor, duh. <laughs> My GP is a runner. He understands. He likes it when I tell him that I, I'm continuing to running or things that are going on. He, he thinks that's great. And so do I. I think that everybody can keep running if you take care of yourselves. Now, we're all not like Tony, who doesn't seem to have to do any strength training or anything like that. He can just go run. Many of us have to do a lot of work to keep running. I have to do a lot of work to keep running. I have to go to the gym and do stretching, do strength training, do a lot of things like that to keep myself running. If I didn't do those things, I couldn't run. And I love running. But I realized that I like to do those things. I like going to the gym. I have a small apartment, so I don't have a lot of space here to do body weight exercises. And to be perfectly honest, if that's all I did, I'd be bored. Body weight exercises bore me. I am not for doing a hundred of something. I don't think that's effective exercise. So I'm against that. I'll go to the gym and do a few sets of six or seven with heavier weights and I'll get a much more effective exercise than doing a hundred of something that you do every day. Because once your body is used to that hundred, you you get nothing out of it. You maintain, but you get nothing more out of it. And I continually want to increase and get better. I just don't want to maintain. I want to get better. All of this is about progression and improvement. I, I don't just want to keep a steady line. I, I want to become a better me. So that's what all this is for, for me. You have to figure out what's right for you. If all you want to do is just maintain, that's great. It works for you. That's awesome. Me, not so much. And I see people older than me. Now, I turned 60 this year. Gosh, yes, I'm not in my 50s anymore. I am 60. Oh. And I see people a lot older than me who are continuing to run. I did this 12-hour race in January in the rain and cold and wind. And it was very rainy. It was very windy and very cold. And there were plenty of people older than me who were running, who were doing the 24-hour distance. There was a 24, 12, and 6 hours. And it's one-mile loop around Chrissy Field, around the, the lagoon at Chrissy Field there. And there's zero elevation gain. You just go around and around, and you can switch directions if you want. And it's really fun. Even in the cold, even in the horrible weather, it's just a fun, it's a fun time. There's music, there's food, there's, you know, it, it's a good, it's a good thing. But there's a few people who are, who are much older than I am, and they're rock, they're out there rocking it. There's one gentleman in his 70s, I, I 
won't say how old he is. He must be in his mid seventies. And he was doing the 24 hour and he wouldn't stop. He was running. I mean, he wasn't walking it. He was running and he was running a fairly good pace. He was doing maybe 12, 13 minute miles and he was not stopping much. He would just keep going. Every time I saw him, he was out there running and he did a great job. And it was like, man, I want to be like him when I grow up because he was cool. You have to have that attitude where you're not going to stop. You want to get better. You always want to continue to move. And you have to know it's going to be hard. It's This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be like, okay, when I, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I could go run, hungover. I could party all night, two or three hours of sleep. Not a problem. I wasn't trained for the half marathon. No big deal. I was, you know, not feeling the greatest, but I could still go run it. It wasn't. A big deal. Now it's a big deal. <laughs> now I have to train to do something. But I'll tell you what, I have a lot bigger goals now. I have a lot more on my plate planned. I never planned anything back then. I was always too busy partying and looking for a good time. Now I know what I want. I mean, I wish I had that mindset 20 years ago, but I was busy doing other things and you can't change history, right? We could all move. Maybe we're going to be slower than we were. Maybe we have to be more careful of our posture. Maybe it takes us longer. Maybe we're not going to be as fast as we were. But we have to constantly adjust and constantly look at what's what's working for us, what's not working for us, and change it and just be better because we can. What's the alternative? Not doing anything at all? That's unacceptable to me. I, I refuse to do that. I think you're, you're the type, too, that you will refuse to do that, too. You want to be a better person, too. I know you do. I volunteer with seniors on Saturday mornings. We go for walks and we do exercises. And there's maybe maybe three or four of us. Sometimes there's just a couple of us. To a T, each one, and they're mostly ladies. Once in a while, we get a guy, but it's mostly us ladies. And they're in their 80s. And their secret is they don't stop. To a T, they've always been active their whole life. One of the ladies used to ski almost all her whole life. She she was always she was grew up around the Bay Area and her family always went to Tahoe. One of them is from Canada and she was a hockey player. So as soon as she said, Oh, I used to play hockey when I was young, I said, You're from Canada. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the other one used to be a ballet dancer in New York. So it's kind of cool that these ladies all were very much into fitness when they were young. So they always want to be active. It's a mindset. You have to be, you have to want to be active. You have to want to keep going and never lose that. If you have that now, never lose that, never change. And if you don't have that, you can start having it. Just because you didn't have that when you were young doesn't mean you can't have that now. So adopt it. Go out and move, even if it's just around the block. Even if you're listening to this and you say, well, I'm not a runner, but I'm just curious about what this is about. That's fine. You don't have to be a runner. You know, we're kind of weirdos anyway. So if you don't want to be like us, that's pretty normal, I would say. But just be active. But walk, ride a bike, do something. Go for a hike. There's beautiful country in our world. Go for a hike. Take a picnic out and have a picnic out on a beautiful hill. It's going to be summer now. It's going to be beautiful weather. Just do something. Be active. Because what is the alternative? not doing anything and just vegetating until you die on the couch. Sorry to be so blunt, but it's true. That's what happens. You want to watch TV? I mean, TV's boring as far as I'm concerned. Unless there's like a hockey game on or baseball or something. 
I, I just get kind of bored with TV from now. now. I just, eh, I don't know, I'd rather. What, am I going to watch the Barkley Marathons documentary again? <laughs> so you know what I mean. Just get out there and be active and do things. Keep your body going. Keep your mind going. This is good for us. This keeps us young. Thank you very much for joining me. My website is MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. My email address is MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmx.com. Like my Facebook page at the same name. And send me any kind of comments, any ideas for future episodes. Until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run.